That was easy. Is that working? We good? That was easy. Okay, good. That's the test. Good evening. Thank you, Brother Hollis. I love leading. I love to hear you lead singing. Love singing with you. Uh, it's nice to not lead singing sometimes and just be a part of the congregational singing uh, without having to be up here leading. So appreciate you being willing to do that. Good evening. Good evening. It is really good to see you guys tonight. I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, it is an exciting time in the life of the congregation. We've got homecoming just around the corner, uh, celebrating 125 years. None of us have been around that long, so it's really great. I've never celebrated anything uh, that had 125 years uh, attached to it. So this is really exciting and uh, lots of great things that are in the works. And uh, thank you guys for the great things that are happening here in this congregation, uh, the great works you're a part of, the way that you serve. Uh, it's been a great summer with our youth program and it is, it's wrapping up, it's winding down. Uh, but it has been a, a really great thing. Appreciate Noah this morning doing a fantastic job uh, preaching from God's word. Uh, we're so blessed here in so many ways. And uh, one of the big ways has been with our interns this summer. So thankful for them and their work. Had a great team VBS this past week. Uh, this past week, we, we talked about the Price is Right. And we did play some fun kind of Price is Right games. But more importantly, we talked about the different prices that are talked about in God's Word. We talked about on Monday the, the price of discipleship. Remember, Jesus had some strong words about those who are worthy to be his disciples and those who were not worthy to be his disciples. On Tuesday, we talked about the price of a soul. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? You can't really put a price tag on a soul. It's worth everything. It was worth everything to Jesus. That's why he went to the cross to save your soul. On Wednesday, we talked about the price of the church, the price of the church. Dan Chambers came that day and he spoke to us, did a fantastic job talking about how much Christ loved the church. How much did he love the church? Well, enough to die for her. And then on Thursday, we talked about the price of sin. The Bible teaches that even though sin is something that doesn't really cost you anything to commit, it costs you everything when you commit it. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Appreciate Jamie Harper, uh, who came and spoke to us on Thursday, did an outstanding job. We're blessed. We're blessed, guys. Amen. We got a lot to be thankful for. Tonight, I wanted to start with something that I think everybody enjoys. The only thing better than human babies, animal babies. All right? I'm going to put some pictures on the screen, and uh, they're going to be of di different, you just can't, you can't not smile when you see that. I'm going to put some different animal pictures on the screen, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you if you know what a baby of each one of these animals is called, okay? For instance, this one is a baby fox, and a baby fox is called a kit. Some of you knew that, a kit. All right, that's a baby fox. Uh, how about a baby goat? jumping off a cliff. How about that? A kid, right? Sounds like kit. Um, how about this one? A baby bat. Anybody know what a baby bat is called? No, no, none of you raising baby bats at your house? Uh, a pup. A pup is a baby bat. Uh, how about a baby echidna? Baby echidna. That looks like, that looks like a Pokemon that I caught on the way into church tonight. Um, a baby echidna. Anybody know what that? It's called a puggle. Learn something new tonight. A puggle. Uh, how about a, a baby kangaroo? A joey, right? So cute. You can't help it. Uh, how about a baby pigeon? That's kind of weird looking. Um, 
baby pigeon is called a squawk. It's a good name for a baby pigeon. Uh, how about a baby porcupine? I know, right? Just want to, does it hurt to hold it? I don't know. Maybe not. It's too cute. You don't, you don't think about the pain when you're holding something that cute. Uh, baby porcupine, anybody know? A porky pet. How cute is that? It's great. And then uh, this is my favorite, it's not my favorite picture, but my favorite name. How about a baby eel? A baby eel. Now, all of you got grossed out when the eel went up there. A leptocephalus. Leptocephalus. There's, there's a fun word. So go home and tell your friends you know what a baby eel is called. Leptocephalus. Sounds like Big Bird's best friend. Uh, leptocephalus. Speaking, speaking of babies and speaking of, of newborns, have you ever considered how similar that newborn Christians and newborn babies are? Have you ever stopped to really consider how similar that newborn Christians and newborn babies are? This summer we've been really blessed to see a lot of people who've obeyed the gospel. A lot of people who've become new children of God, as we would say. And, uh, and where does that idea come from? This, this idea of, of being a new, having a new birth. Well, it goes all the way back to Jesus in John chapter 3. Jesus was the first one to come up with this analogy between newborns and newborn followers of him. Um, there's a whole lot to this. Look, in, look with me at John chapter 3, starting in verse 3. John 3, verse 3. Jesus talking to Nicodemus, where he refers to baptism as being born again. This confuses Nicodemus. We'll read that here in just a second. John chapter three, verse three. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's a beautiful analogy, but it, it pretty much goes way over Nicodemus's head. He doesn't quite grasp it. Uh, but there really are so many similarities between newborn Christians and newborn babies. I don't know a ton about babies. I'm not a baby expert by any means, but I do know a couple of important things uh, about babies. Here they are. Number one, there are some things that babies need from you. There are some things that babies need from you. And number two, there are some things that babies must learn to do on their own. Tonight, for just a few minutes, I want us to look at a few of those things together. If you are a new Christian, and we do have several in the audience, if you are a new Christian, I hope you'll, you'll jot these things down. But maybe you're not a new Christian. I want you to jot these things down anyway because there's some things that new Christians need from us, uh, from those of us who've been Christians maybe a little bit longer. We've all got a responsibility to help, help out one another in a few ways. Here are six things that new Christians need from you. Six things that a new Christian needs from you. Number one, New Christians need for you to rejoice with them. New Christians need for you to rejoice with them. Think about all the joy that a newborn baby brings into the life of a home. And when it enters the world, there's, there's just so much joy. And when a, when a child of God is born, it, it ought to bring us even more joy. And I know it does. 
And that's the way it ought to be. It's not just, it's not just okay for us to rejoice over the news of someone obeying the gospel. Every time a lost person comes back to God, the Bible shows us a picture of rejoicing. In Luke 15, we're told three parables and in every one of those stories, joy is, is happening in every one of those scenarios. Here's Luke 15, starting in verse three. So he told them this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country? and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Short story, but joy appears three times, joy or rejoicing three times. If you keep going, the next, the next verse, verse eight, a different scenario. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, what? Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then maybe the most famous story of them all, the prodigal son. Skip down to verse 22. But the father said to his servants, it's when the son comes home, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. There's joy. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. I know we're all really busy, but the next time that someone obeys the gospel and they come up out of that water and we stand as a congregation and we sing a song and we have a prayer, take five or 10 minutes just to come up and meet your new brother in Christ, your new sister in Christ. I promise you, there's not many things that are worth more time than that right there. It's a beautiful thing. Number two, new Christians need for you to check on them. New Christians need for you to check on them. How much sense would it make if you came home from the hospital with this new baby and uh, you plopped it there at your house, maybe on the counter, that sounds dangerous, maybe on the floor, and uh, you put the baby on the floor and, uh, and then you leave and you say, okay, see you later, and you don't come back and you don't hang out with your kid, you don't spend any time, you don't take care of it. In a similar way, it doesn't make any sense for a new Christian to give them a hug, say welcome to the family of God and never speak to them again, never check on them, never see how they're doing. Some of the most tragic stories that we hear on the news from time to time are stories of neglect, child neglect. When someone neglected their responsibility to look after a child who isn't able to take care of themselves yet. Look at with me at uh, Acts chapter 15. Paul understood this. Paul understood how important it was to check on people. Look at Acts 15, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, if we stop there, the next few verses are about that famous disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark and they part ways. And then we read in verse 41, and Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now you back up to verse 36. Paul and Barnabas want to do what? 
visit the brothers. Where? In every city where they've been before and proclaim the word of God. Well, why are they doing that? Verse 36, to see how they are. Paul and Barnabas got it. They knew that people needed to be checked on. And verse 41 gives us an idea of what that looked like. Paul went about strengthening the churches as he did on his other missionary journeys. We're talking about Christians. And here, specifically, we're talking about young Christians. The church hasn't been around that long. Do you remember remember that cartoon that Disney made like a lot of years ago? Uh, It was actually several cartoons and it it was called Fantasia. It was like this... Uh, I guess, collection of different symphonies uh, composed and cartoons were happening while you're, that's a terrible description, but you know what I mean. And uh, you probably know what it is. If I just show you a picture here on the screen, you at least know the picture, right? This is where, this is where the picture came from, from Fantasia, Uh, from a little story, a little short, a little symphony called The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And in that story, uh, there's this wizard and, uh, and, and Mickey Mouse is, is the apprentice. He's the wizard's apprentice. And the wizard has this amazing power. He's got this magical hat on. And uh, by the way, the wizard's name is Yen Sid, which is Disney's name backwards. You're just learning all kinds of useless things tonight. I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, the, the wizard steps away, the sorcerer steps away and Mickey comes in and he puts the hat on. And, uh, and if you remember kind of the scene, you can hear the music and you can imagine uh, the brooms that he's kind of teaching how to do his chores. That dun, 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 dun. And they're taking the water and they're pouring, getting it out of the well and they're dumping it out. And, and everything's going pretty well for a while, right? Remember the story? Everything's going well for a while. But after a few minutes, uh, Mickey kind of falls asleep and everything's good and he's doing this and he falls asleep. And uh, when he wakes up, it's chaos and everything's in disarray. What do we learn? Sometimes something really good can happen. And if we leave it alone for a little while, it can get in a really bad situation. Just at our house, you ever had something at your house that maybe you didn't check on for a while and uh, you, you don't really walk around it, you don't go around it, you don't do a lot of business around it in your yard or whatever. Uh, we, had, we have a fern at our house that uh, this past week uh, we're watering our plants or whatever and we spray some water over towards the fern and out comes some yellow jackets. Ooh, scary, right? You ever had a situation like that? What happens? Well, everything's good for a little while, but after a little while, maybe things start to change. It's the same way with people, especially with people who become Christians. Maybe everything's really good when you come up out of the water, and by the way, it is. But a few days later, you may not be in a good situation. You may be really struggling. We need to check on each other. If we don't check on things, things can go south. We need to do our part to follow up with those that are young in the faith. I hope we'll check in on those who've decided to follow Jesus. Number three, new Christians need for you to feed them. Need for you to feed them. Everybody who became a Christian this year is like, yes, I want food. Bring me over to your house. Not exactly what I mean. Uh, I'm not really talking about food literally. They'd probably appreciate that. Uh, But John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Listen to what Jesus says to Peter. Simon, son of John... Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. First Peter two, verses two and three, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Everybody in this room at some point in their life depended on someone else to feed them. And the same could probably be said spiritually. I'm not saying that young Christians aren't capable of, of being able to study the Bible for themselves. The, the fact is, that's a beautiful thing about God's Word. You don't need someone to tell you what it says. You can just understand it yourself. But what I am saying is this. Probably all of us have benefited from having someone help us understand God's Word. Paul and the Hebrew writer talk about some spiritual subjects being like milk and other subjects being like solid food. Babies don't come out of the womb ready to eat a steak, right? We shouldn't expect new Christians to know how to do that either spiritually. Number four, new Christians need for you to pray for them. New Christians need for you to pray for them. When a baby is coming, we pray and we pray and we pray. We pray for the baby. We pray that the pregnancy goes smoothly. We pray for the doctors delivering the baby. We pray for uh, the baby to, to stop making your wife throw up. Uh, we, we pray a lot. We pray all the time. We pray uh, when, when the child finally does arrive, the, the, the parents continue uh, praying for him or her. You know, Lord, help us be good parents and, and help us not to mess our kids up. Uh, help us, help to teach us, Lord, um, Teach us how to, how to teach them to love you more than anything in this world. Lord, we, we pray that they will become Christians one day. And Lord, if, if they marry, we pray that they would marry someone uh, that would be a strong Christian. And, and we pray for whoever, whoever it is that, that the Lord is raising up for, for him or her. In the same way, I think you and I ought to pray for Christians that, that have just been born and maybe even those that have yet to be born those who have obeyed the gospel and those who have yet to obey the gospel. I can't help but think of the words of, of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1.27. And to be fair to the text, she's not praying for young Christians here, but I think the principle is, is pretty awesome. Wouldn't it be an awesome thing for us to pray this as it relates to those who have not obeyed the gospel? For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. That would be beautiful. Number five, new Christians need for you to be gentle with them. New Christians need for you to be gentle with them. It doesn't do much good to yell and scream at a baby. Uh, they, don't, they don't get it. They don't get it yet. And really the same is true of young Christians. They're learning. How much good does it do when, when maybe someone who's older and maybe in their eyes they think they're wiser and, and that Christian decides to flip out on a new Christian because of something they didn't know. I tell you, it, it doesn't really do any good. It does a lot of harm. The, the best way, the best, time to, the best time to uproot a tree is when it's young. It ends up doing a lot of damage. We need to be gentle in, a way that, in the way that we approach young Christians. And, and maybe they're, they're still learning, but we've got to be gentle in the way we approach that. Gentleness, by the way, is, is a fruit of the Spirit, right? Psalm 23, that famous passage about the Lord being our shepherd, where we read, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Loving correction is not only helpful and appreciated, it's comforting. Isn't that true? Like, isn't it a comforting feeling when someone lovingly guides you? 
You've, you've had a coach before, maybe if you played sports, you've had a coach before that would yell at you and embarrass you and flip out on you when you did something wrong. You've had another coach that obviously it upset them too, but instead of flipping out on you and making you so nervous, you don't even know how to play the game anymore. Instead of doing that, they took you aside and say, hey, it looks like you're having trouble understanding how this place is supposed to be run. Come in early tomorrow and let's go over it. That's not only appreciated, it's helpful, right? A boss calls you out in front of everybody at work and he absolutely humiliates you and he calls you an idiot. That doesn't go very far. But a boss that maybe takes you aside and says, hey, help me understand this. We appreciate people like that. How much more helpful and pleasant and productive and healthy is it to have a boss that looks for ways to help his employees instead of humiliate them? Loving guidance goes a long way in every aspect of life. And I'll tell you, it goes a long way with Christianity. Do you remember the story of Priscilla and Aquila and the guy named Apollos? Here's what we don't read. A long time ago, there was a heathen of a man named Apollos who was a false teacher and led many people astray because he wasn't bringing sound doctrine. So, Apollo, so Aquila wrote him an open letter and posted it on Facebook and informed all the brethren and the other churches not to associate with such a man. No. By the way, there's a lot of people that would rather handle it that way, it seems. But instead of that, we read a beautiful short story about loving guidance. Look at this. This is awesome. Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, although he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Now, imagine that they'd handled that in a different way. I don't know that we would see Apollos reaching out and encouraging people afterwards, but that's what he did. Loving instruction, loving guidance goes a long way. Number six, new Christians need for you to help them learn how to walk and talk. New Christians need for you to help them learn how to walk and talk. Isn't it, isn't it such a cool thing uh, to see a baby take those first steps? That's kind of a big milestone, right? They're real shaky and that's the way that they walk for a, a few months even. And we love that time and we cherish those times. Um, you have to, but, but how do they get there? How do they get to that point? You don't just plop them down and then take off in a sprint. The way that they learn how to walk is how? You take them by the hands, maybe even put their feet on your feet and you take one step with them at a time. That's a beautiful thing to think about in the way that we ought to help one another spiritually. There's a lot of people that are young Christians that they don't know exactly what it looks like to walk with God. And so what they need is for you to show them that. And the way that we do that is not by just dropping them off and say, hey, good luck. Instead, we pick them up and we say, it looks like this. And this is what it feels like. And this is what it looks like. And this is how it goes. And when it gets tough, this is how you keep walking. That's a beautiful thing. Learning how to walk takes a while. Romans 6 verse 4. 
We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. 1 John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We got to help new Christians learn how to walk and how to get back up and what a Christian talks like and how they behave and, and what that Christian walk with God looks like when they fall down, how to get back up. Number three, or the third thing that, it's not a third thing, there's three things that I think new Christians need to understand. I'll run over these three things tonight and then the lesson is yours. Three things that new Christians need to understand. So we talked to everybody else for a minute, but now new Christians, here's some things that might be helpful for you to understand. Number one, you need to know you weren't made to stay little. You weren't made to stay little. That might be a real weird way of thinking about it, but you know what I mean. You weren't made to stay young all the time in your faith. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 that he's a little bit frustrated uh, because he couldn't come to them and, and deliver like deeply spiritual messages because they weren't mature enough for that yet. They weren't ready for it. First uh, Corinthians three, starting in verse one, he says, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food for you're not ready for it. And even now you're not ready for you're still of the flesh. Listen to some, some of the childish behavior they had. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You're not made to stay small. You're made to continue to grow. Number two, I think new Christians need to understand, they need to learn how to feed themselves. If you're a new Christian, you need to learn how to feed yourself. There's a problem if our Christianity, if our walk with Christ depends on someone else to feed us at every single meal, right? If you're an adult and someone else is having to feed you every single meal, we know that that's a little strange, right? It can look a little strange. But spiritually, how many times, how many people depend on the only way that they're being fed every week is from a pulpit. The only way that they're fed every week is from a Bible class teacher. It's good to be fed in that way. It is, it's good, it's, it's healthy, it's right. But it's not right if that's the only time you're being fed. What if you only ate one day a week? You'd starve. Spiritually speaking, maybe you're starving. And maybe one reason is because you're depending on the person standing up here every week to feed you. We can't do that. We can't live our life that way. First Peter one verse five, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. There came a point in our physical maturity 
where we started eating steaks and ribs. And what a glorious day this was, bacon, right? I'm really thankful for Bible class teachers. It's, maybe it's a job sometimes that, that we take for granted, but it's such an important thing that you guys are doing. Thank you for what you're doing. For the way that you prepare every week to feed people from the word of God, man, that is so, so important. And if I may, let me challenge as, as a Bible class teacher, let me challenge like my fellow Bible class teachers. In our classes, are we giving people a bucket or a shovel? In other words, are we teaching people how to dig into the word or are we doing all the digging for them and just asking them to kind of hold out their bucket every week? Again, I know there's a point in everybody's life where you need that. You need somebody to help feed you, but not your whole life. Let's go ahead and speak to everybody in the room. How do you approach the word of God? Do you come in on Sunday with a bucket and say, okay, I'm here. Give me enough Bible just to get through the next week and then I'll bring back my bucket. Number three, you need to learn how to walk on your own. New Christians need to learn how to walk on their own. You weren't made to walk alone, but there will be some times where you'll have to take the road less traveled. Do something that's unpopular. Do something that a lot of, not a lot of other people are not going to do. Jesus would call that the narrow way. Not all the time, but sometimes. And you will fall down, but you've got to learn to get back up. And first, I'm sorry, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, we read where Paul says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Remember, new Christians need your prayers. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This evening, I hope, I hope you've been as challenged as, as I've been by some of these things, by some of these ideas of, of ways that we can encourage one another and especially those that are young in the faith. Maybe you need to, maybe you've been challenged to invest in somebody. Maybe you need to, to write somebody a note or, or take somebody under your wing and encourage them or maybe, a, maybe someone that's a new Christian or maybe someone that hasn't made that decision yet that could use a little encouragement. What do you need to do? God is different from us. When we hear a baby cry out, we're, we're trying to, to figure out, we're trying to translate what a baby's cry means because it can mean anything. <laughs> And it becomes a guessing game. But God's not like that. When we cry out to him, he doesn't just hear your cry. He knows exactly what's hurting. He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly how to fix it. Do you need to cry out to God tonight? Do you need to be a Christian? Do you need to come home? Whatever it is, I want you to know we're here to help. This is not a place where we want to just drop you off and say, good luck, good luck making it to heaven. You weren't made to walk alone. We want to teach you how to walk. Not that any of us have it all figured out, but we're trying to take steps with our Savior every day. And that's all we can do. The grace of our Lord is a great thing. Tonight, if you'd like to become a Christian, if there's anything we can do for you, I'd ask you to come as together we